publicly give thanks to God for answered prayer. We've been praying uh, for a home to, to be able to move to the area. And as many of you probably know already that we had a contract to sell our home. And during that period, we got a contract to buy a home. And then our buyer backed out. And so we were left holding the bag. Uh, and so we've been praying, God, please sell our home. Bring us another buyer. And we needed really to have another buyer by Friday. And do you know when we got another buyer? Friday. We, we had the contract signed on Friday. And so I couldn't go without publicly just thanking God for, for his blessing. And of course, this could fall, fall through as well. But God is faithful. Uh, we, we've been studying through Genesis. And this is the, the ongoing theme of Genesis. You can trust God. He's faithful. No matter what it looks like, no matter what your circumstances, no matter what you're going through, He's faithful and He is trustworthy. We'll see that again today. Before we jump into that, let's uh, pray and ask God to bless the reading and the preaching of His Word. Our Heavenly Father, we come before You. Needy, desperate, to be nourished by Your Word. We need your grace. So we pray that you would pour it out on us generously. Pray that you would feed us. Pray that you would grow us. Convict us of sin. Convict us of of areas where we are not walking in line with our profession of the gospel. And use this time to, to grow us, to change us by your word, that we might walk in your ways, that we might trust you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Follow along as I read Genesis chapter 22. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. He said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah. And offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place which, of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on on Isaac, his son. And he took in his hand the fire and the knife. So they went, both of them together. And Isaac said to his father Abraham, My father. And he said, Here am I, my son. He said, Behold, the fire and the wood. But where is the lamb for a burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide. For himself, the lamb, for a burnt offering, my son. So they went both of of them together. When they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, Here am I. He said, Do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing that you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked. And behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. 
And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place, The Lord Will Provide. As it is said to this day, On the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. And the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you, and I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of the heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies. And in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed, because you have obeyed my voice. So Abraham returned to his young men, and they arose and went together to Beersheba. And Abraham lived at Beersheba. Now after these things it was told to Abraham, Behold, Milcah also has borne children to your brother Nahor, Uz his firstborn, Buz his brother, Kimuel the father of Aram, Chesed, Hazo, Pildash, Jidlaf, and Bethuel. Bethuel fathered Rebekah. These eight Milcah bore to Nahor, Abraham's brother. Moreover, his concubine, whose name was Ruma, bore Teba, Geham, Tehash, and Mekah. It's often said today that you just have to believe. In fact, you watch any of the movies out of Disney, that's a major theme in Disney movies, is to, to just believe. Just believe. Just have wishful thinking, have hopeful thinking, and it will happen. Your heart's desire, your heart's wish will come true. Many today are confused about faith. What is faith? What is genuine faith? What does it mean to believe? And it is probably, a lot of it is a result of knowing biblical words having grown up much of our society in a religious background uh, with at least Christian traditions and values, but not knowing the substance of biblical teaching. And so many of your friends, unbelievers probably, speak of faith as well, about having faith in difficult circumstances. Well, in this passage, Abraham's faith is tested. And after it's tested, it is proved. And then it is affirmed by God. In this story, we are shown what genuine faith is. It's not simply a wishful thinking or a hope against all hope in the midst of difficult circumstances. Faith has an object, namely God and His promises. Faith is having confidence in the reliability of God to do what He has said He will do. And in fact, it's an active trust in God and in His promises. But not only is it, is it an active trust in God and His promises, faith displays itself by obedience to God's Word. Not only trusts God's Word, it displays itself in acts of obedience to God's Word. Let's look first then at Abraham's faith, which was tested. God tests Abraham's faith. At the very beginning of this passage, the author tips us off as far as the context of this story. This was a test. It says, after these things, God tested Abraham. It reminds me of of Job's testing in the Old Testament as well. You'll remember that 
test came as a result of Satan who came and accused Job of trusting in God only because he, everything was going well with him. He had everything he needed. Why would he, why would he not trust God? But as sure as Satan said, as, as soon as you take away everything that he has, he will curse you to his face. Abraham's test, however, is different in this. Job hears nothing from God at the outset of his trials and even throughout his trials. But Abraham's testing comes because of a direct command of God. God tests Abraham's faith by giving him a direct command that doesn't seem to make much sense. That in fact seems to contradict the promise that God had previously made. And there are three main parts of God's command to Abraham. First, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love. Second, go to the land of Moriah. And third, offer your son Isaac. There is a burnt offering on one of the mountains, which I show you. And we know that God doesn't tempt anyone to sin. He doesn't lead us into sin. In the book of James, we read, Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. So tempting is different than testing. The devil tempts us in order to ensnare us, in order to trap us, in order to destroy us. God tests his people to reveal what is there and to strengthen us. So Satan's temptings are designed ultimately for destruction. He wants to destroy you. But God's testings are designed for fruit and for sanctification. So what are the purposes of this test for Abraham? What Abraham does with this command will show us his true character. It will show us what he loves. It will show us his faith. Notice the repetition in verses 2, 12, and 16. God says, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love. This is something very dear to Abraham. This is the promised son that he's been waiting for for years and years. He had waited and waited, and finally at the age of 100, he had a son, and it made him laugh with joy. Imagine the years between the birth of of, of Isaac and this command. The years of joy that a father and son shared together during those first years, first 13 to 15 years. There was laughter. But now, from the command of God, he was to offer him up as a sacrifice to God. And there would be no laughter in this. This would surely be a test of love. But it's also a test of faith. It wasn't just Abraham's son. This was the one promised by God through whom the nations would be blessed. Isaac would be the heir, not Ishmael. The tension here then is that Abraham has received a direct command from God which seems to contradict the previously spoken promise of God. So think about that. Put these two words of God side by side. Through Isaac shall your offspring be named. That's the promise. Through Isaac shall your offspring be named. And the command is to take your son Isaac and offer him as a burnt offering, as a sacrifice to the Lord. It doesn't make any sense. What will Abraham do? 
It's a test to show what's in his heart. It will reveal his love for God and it will reveal his faith in God. But it will also strengthen his faith in God. Because all along, God has been gently and patiently leading Abraham and Sarah, teaching them who he is and what he requires of them, stretching them. He's patient with their weak faith. He's continually growing their faith as they go through different circumstances and difficulties. And as Abraham is tested to love God with all his heart and trust God, even though it doesn't make any sense, his faith is being stretched. There's pressure being applied. And as his faith is being stretched, it's being strengthened. Remember, it's James who says, Consider it all joy, my brothers, when you encounter various trials, because you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance, makes us stronger as we persevere with faith. And let endurance have its perfect result so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Now, what this does for us is gives us Knowing that God sometimes tests his people in order to reveal what is there and in order to strengthen what is there gives us a heavenly perspective on all that we go through. Helps us to see from the perspective of God our circumstances and our trials. Usually, in our limited capacities, what do we think about trials? This is just some bad thing that that happened. This is just some difficulty that everybody has to face things like this. We might think of it as just coincidence or just happenstance. But since God is sovereign, we know that ultimately has the power to keep us from suffering, keep us from trials, keep us from going through difficulties. Why would he allow us to go through something so difficult, we might ask? Why, why Why would he... Make me go through this. Why would he make Abraham choose between him and his only son? You see, if our trials are simply happenstance, then we can't be sure that they will work out for our good. Yes, maybe God will make them work out that way. But if he, didn't, if he wasn't able to stop them in the first place, how can we be sure that he will turn them for good? But if our trials are actually designed by a gracious God, then we have every reason to believe that He has designed them for our good. They are designed to strengthen us. They are designed to reveal our love for God and our faith in God so that God's glory might be seen all the more than if we hadn't been tested in the first place. So consider your own difficulties. Consider your own trials at this moment. What would it mean for you if you considered it a test instead of a trial? A test instead of simply a trial. An opportunity to be stretched in faith so that you might be stronger as a result. What would it mean if you considered how God might use it to change you, to grow you, to strengthen you? How might He use it to bring glory to Himself? Abraham's faith was tested But we see in this circumstance, it was also proved. He passed the test. He proves his faith by his obedience. Notice that Abraham's obedience is immediate and resolute. Look in verse 3. So Abraham rose early in the morning, and he got things ready for the journey and for the offering, despite what must have been an absolutely jarring command from God. 
he gets up early in the morning and begins getting ready to go about the work he had been commanded to do. And notice it wasn't, this wasn't just something Abraham could do quickly and get it over with. It was a three-day journey. This isn't just something you can work up the courage to do and then just rip the band-aid off and it's over. You've done it. There, it's done. This was slow, painstaking. Had to have been depressing work for Abraham. Knowing what was going to come at the end of this three-day journey. You know that gnawing feeling in your stomach when you have something difficult to do, something you don't want to do, but you know you have to do it? You have to talk to your boss or you have to give someone bad news. You just want to get it over with so you can be on the other side of it, so you can start to feel better. Think about Abraham. Can you imagine what he must have been going through? What that gnawing in his stomach must have felt like? With every step, I would have been figuring out a way to get out of it. I've got to come up. I can reason maybe some way to get around having to do this. Some kind of other way. But what we should remember here is that Abraham's obedience is not just because he is a, a good man, better than all the others. It is the fruit of his faith. His actions in doing what God commanded, are flowing from his faith in God. I will do what you say because I trust you. And even Abraham, we know, is not perfect in this. This happens to be one glorious example of his faith. We've seen him failing in faith. We've seen his weak faith. We've seen him taking different routes rather than the route God has told him to take. But here he believes God. Hebrews eleven seventeen and following tells us, By faith Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, Through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was even able to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. So do you see what Abraham does here? And the opposite of what I would have done, I would have reasoned myself out of faith. I would have reasoned myself to try to find a different way. Abraham reasons his, his own mind and heart to faith, to believe. He must have been com, uh, contemplating it all. How does it make sense? God promises Isaac will be the offspring of blessing, but now I'm supposed to offer him up? And the more he thought about it, the more he reasoned that it must be that God would find another way. It must be, I don't know, maybe God will raise him from the dead. I mean, this is unheard of for Abraham. He he doesn't know anything like this. He reasons himself to believe God because he knows time after time God has been faithful. And he has no reason to doubt him. That's faith. And because he believed God, he was willing to do what God said, even if it meant temporarily losing his most treasured possession. Abraham passed the test. In verse 9, it's almost like the scene becomes slow motion. The author builds up the tension by his explanation of the details. They get to the place where God had told him, Abraham builds the altar. He gets the wood. 
together and lays it on top of the altar. Altar. He takes the twine and ties up his son Isaac. He lays his son on top of the wood. Abraham reaches for the knife and then lifts it up to slaughter his son. And you have to wonder what went through Abraham's mind in that moment of truth when we don't when we have something that we don't want to do. We're perhaps always hoping to be spared from it. Like, at some point in this, I'm going to get out of this jam. I'm going to get out of this difficulty. Perhaps Abraham had considered this. But it seemed things kept progressing along. God keeps allowing it to take place. That soon he would have to go through with it after all. But just before Abraham strikes a blow with the knife, an angel calls down. It must have been heavenly to Abraham. It must have been beautiful to hear those words from the angel's lips. Abraham, Abraham, here I am, Abraham said. Do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him, for now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. Now surely God knows all things. God knew from the beginning that Abraham would pass the test. God knew he would trust him in this situation. He knew that Abraham feared him. But we didn't know that. And perhaps even Abraham didn't know what would happen at the final moment. But here God condescends to our our limited capacity and shows us the display of true faith in the heart of Abraham. He's not perfect. He has failed before. He has lacked faith before. But in this moment, he passes the test. And this is an example for us of what true faith is. True faith hears the word of God, believes the word of God, and then displays itself in obedience to the word of God. Faith works. As Martin Luther said, we are saved by faith alone. But the faith that saves is never alone. It is accompanied by the fruit of righteousness. It's accompanied by the fruit of repentance, by the fruit of the Spirit, by the fruit of obedience. Now ask yourself, if my faith were tested in such a way, how would I do? What would I do? I say I have faith, but do I have works? Does my faith produce works? Am I walking in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ? Would I be willing to give up my most precious possession in an act of worship to God? If you're like me and and apparently like Abraham, the strength of your faith seems to vary from day to day. Is that true in your own experience? Some days you feel like you could take on the world, like you are strong in faith, like you would trust God no matter what. And then other days you're curled up in a corner doubting what God says, doubting His Word, doubting His provision for you, doubting His faithfulness. You recognize that your actions don't match up with what you say you believe. This is the experience of Paul, a great father in the faith, who said, the very things that I know I want to do and would please God, I can't bring myself to do those things. And the things that that I do, I don't want to do. And the scripture teaches, for all this, we deserve to suffer. 
punishment from God. The truth is, if God were to test our loyalty to Him day in and day out for the rest of our lives, our faith, our love for Him, we would all fail on our own. We would all, every single one of us would fail on our own merits. What God demands from us is an absolute faith without any wavering whatsoever. An absolute loyalty to Him, an absolute love for Him with no rivals. This is the first and greatest commandment. Love the Lord your God with part of your heart. Trust Him a little bit. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. Every ounce, every fiber of your being. And you haven't done that. I haven't done that. No one has done that. And so what we need is forgiveness. And the scripture teaches without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. In other words, this is our punishment for disbelieving God, for not loving God with all that we have. Death. What this means is that this offering up of Isaac on the altar is meant to be a sacrificial offering to the Lord. A blood sacrifice to the Lord. For our sin, we deserve for there to be silence from heaven as the knife comes down upon us. We deserve not to be spared. But what we learn from this story is not only an example of faith, of genuine faith, we learn that God provides the very thing that He commands. He commands Abraham to offer up his son, but at the very last moment, He provides an offering for Himself. In verse 7, Isaac asks his father, Where is the lamb for the burnt offering? And Abraham responds, The Lord will provide for Himself the lamb for a burnt offering. And He does exactly that. He provides. He provides a lamb as a substitute for Isaac, or rather, a ram. He takes the ram and offers it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. And Abraham called the name of the place, the Lord will provide. You have heard the name probably Jehovah Jireh. It means the Lord will provide. It reminds us generally that we don't need to fear anything because God will provide for our every need. The Lord will take care of us. We can trust Him. But the phrase here, the Lord will provide, means something in particular in this story. It doesn't, I don't think, just mean general provision. It means a substitutionary, sacrificial provision. The Lord will provide for the forgiveness of sins. The Lord will provide the lamb for the burnt offering. But consider this. For the readers of the story, Isaac's question would remain. A ram was used as a substitute and as a burnt offering, but what about the lamb? The question remains for the reader, where is the lamb for the burnt offering? During the time of Moses, there would be regular sacrifices, regular sacrifices of lambs for the forgiveness of sins. The blood of animals flowed throughout the Old Testament period because people knew that sacrifices were required for the forgiveness of sins. But even then, even with all of those slaughterings, all of the blood that flowed, all the lambs, That were killed, the question remains where is the lamb for the burnt offering? In fact, the answer would remain a mystery for hundreds of years. 
And it wouldn't come until a man named John stood up, pointed to Jesus, and said, Behold, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sins of the world. Christ is the sacrificial substitute for all who come to Him in faith, trusting in Him for the forgiveness of sins and eternal life in His name. I hope it's crossed your mind a few times already from this story of Abraham and Isaac, the parallels that we see between this and the Gospel. Has it crossed your mind? Because ultimately, this story is not about us, but about Christ. It's about God who gave His only Son to rescue sinners. You see, Abraham offered his son to prove his love for a worthy God. But God offered his son to prove his love for unworthy sinners. Abraham's son was spared at the last moment, but there was no one to rescue Christ as he hung on the cross. In fact, heaven shouted to save Isaac, but there was only silence and darkness as Christ hung on the cross. Abraham figuratively received his son back from the dead, but God literally raised his son up from the dead. Isaac escaped death. Christ conquered death. And your only hope is in him. This is the gospel. That Jesus lived a perfect life. That he suffered and bled and died on the cross in the place of sinners. That he rose from the dead. And now you, from the oldest to the youngest, are called to respond to that gospel. The right response is to repent of your sins and to trust in Christ. To turn away from your sins, to recognize them, to see them as God sees them. And then to rest in Christ and His work for you. Are you trusting in Him and His work? Are you repenting from your sin? Are you clinging in faith to Christ who has promised to save you? Or are you depending on your own goodness that God might bless you for all the good deeds you've done? Are you simply resting in the finished work of Christ for sinners? And I would love to talk with you more about this. If you are not familiar with that term, the gospel, or you don't quite understand what it means to be a Christian, I'm sure others would love to talk with you about this after the service as well, to try to make it more clear, because this is the foundation of our faith. This is all of our hope and joy as believers, the gospel, the good news of Christ. We've seen Abraham's faith tested, his faith proved, and now let's briefly consider his faith that was affirmed. God affirms Abraham's faith by His promise. Look at verse 15. By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you. And I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies. And in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. Because you have obeyed my voice. This has been the climax of Abraham's life and faith. And as we continue on through Genesis, we see Abraham slowly disappearing from the narrative. God tested him and he passed the test. 
And God affirms his faith by reaffirming his promises. This is the same promise that God has been making to Abraham since chapter 12. But here there are two slight modifications. First, God swears by himself because there's nothing greater by which he can swear. And second, notice the addition in verse 17. And your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies. To possess the gate of one's enemies would mean that you have conquered their city. That you have defeated them. The Israelites reading this would need that encouragement. Would need that assurance as they sought to take the promised land from their enemies. And they would succeed. And then they would fail. And then they would succeed. And then they would fail. And they they would succeed and fail again. What they would find is that they needed someone to decisively win the battle once and for all. They needed, as in the words of the early chapters of Genesis, someone who would crush the head of the serpent. They needed one who would possess the gate of the enemy of God. And this is what Christ died to accomplish. And God has promised that one day He will return. Christ will return. But until then, God has promised that the way He will work is through His church. Consider what a great privilege this is to be the church. That God would work through the proclamation of His Word, the proclamation of the Gospel, and the administration of the sacraments, baptism, and the Lord's Supper. And He has promised that the gates of hell will not prevail against His church. The ultimate truth here is that we cannot lose. As we continue in faith together, as we continue striving for faithfulness as a church to His Word and to the Gospel, we cannot lose. Christ has conquered the grave. He has conquered death and hell. And through faith, you have to. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, I pray that You would cause us by Your Holy Spirit to examine our own love and our own faith, that it might be revealed what is there. Not so we can be destroyed, but so that we can be strengthened. So we might be sanctified by Your Word. Pray that as we go through each day of striving for faith, fighting for faith, fighting against sin and temptation, that You would Support us by your strong and faithful hand. That you would guide us by your word. That you would assure us of your grace, which is in Christ. Pray that you would do these things for us, that we might walk faithfully in this journey. That we might have Christ as our highest and greatest treasure. That we might love one another and serve one another in this pilgrimage. That we might gladly reach out to those around us with this life-saving good news of Christ. And we pray this in His name. Amen.